Thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity that we have to be here uh, at Calvary Baptist in Hollister. This is my first time in Hollister. Uh, I saw it yesterday from the air. Uh, my son is a pilot, and so we went out to San Martin uh, Airport, and uh, he took me up in the air and said, now that's Hollister right there. And so I got to see uh, your uh, city from the air. Uh, we are very thankful uh, for Brother Snow. Uh, he has been a friend for a long time, uh, and uh, I, I was sad to hear that he had been sick, uh, but I'm glad that he's doing much better now, uh, and uh, uh, we're thrilled to be out here so that we can present our ministry to you. Uh, this is my wife, Debbie, uh, and uh, Deborah, uh, and she and I have been married for 46 years, 45. Yeah, almost 46 years. We have three children, uh, three boys. Uh, one is uh, in uh, North Carolina at our church, uh, Friendship Baptist Church, and he is working in our Christian school there. Uh, then I have uh, a son out here, our second son, David. He lives in San Jose, and uh, he works uh, with uh, Woven uh, Planet. It's a division of uh, Toyota, uh, and he's an engineer. Uh, and then uh, I have a third son. He's in Washington, D.C. Uh, he is an attorney, and he uh, works with the IRS. Uh, don't call me. I have no pull, okay? <laughs> uh, but we're thankful for our boys. All of them are in church and uh, serving in their churches. Uh, in fact, our uh, middle son, David, that we're staying with could not come because he's active in his church, obviously. So uh, uh, we're just very thankful. Uh, I want to tell you uh, uh, about Operation Renewed Hope. Uh, this is, I'm in my 31st year with Operation Renewed Hope. Uh, in 1991, uh, we made our first uh, contact for bringing medical people to Panama uh, and uh, had no idea that we were there doing a uh, baseball uh, clinic because uh, our people, we were in Fayetteville, North Carolina, that's home of the 82nd Airborne, and they had jumped into Paitia Airport in Panama City uh, and had captured the uh, jet that uh, Noriega uh, had uh, there in Panama, if you remember Operation Just Cause. Uh, and uh, when they came back, they said, uh, Pastor, uh, this is really bad down there. The, uh, the kids have nothing. We need to do something. So we had a baseball team that traveled, and so we called the uh, people there, uh, and we uh, asked the leadership of the government if they would allow us to come and do a complete little league program for them because uh, Noriega had uh, absconded, uh, well he didn't get to leave, but he had sequestered all the money someplace and they couldn't take the kids to the Williamsport uh, Little League Championship and baseball is huge down there. 
Uh, and so they said, yes, we would love for you to come. So we brought a whole team and uh, each day we preached over 200 people a day as the kids would come in. We did tournaments, we did all kinds of stuff. Uh, and we finally went fishing one day out on the Panama Canal, uh, the Gatun Lake. Uh, we caught 300 fish that day. I could not believe it. The boats were just full of fish. And so when we came back in, the kids said, you know, five cents, clean fish, uh, you know, in their broken English. And I said, that would be okay. Uh, and so I paid for 300 fish. I better have got them, uh, you know, being cleaned. And um, uh, I noticed the kids had problems. And uh, I, I knew that we had to take a medical person with our baseball team. And I just, I asked the missionary, why don't we send the, uh, you know, the person back up here that can, we'll get a nurse and she can clean up all these problems for the kids. He said, well, let's talk to the president of the village. And this was a village out on, in the jungle. And uh, the president said, oh yes, we have no medical care out here. We don't have anybody. Uh, and uh, we really need a dentist. And I said, well, I don't have a dentist. Uh, and uh, I said, we'll bring a, a nurse. He said, okay, we'll accept that. So uh, I flew back to the United States not thinking anything of it. And, and what I'm about to tell you is exactly how it happened. Uh, when I got back, we started getting phone calls. And it would be medical people. And they would say, I understand you're going to Panama on a medical team. And I said, well, you know, I would say to them at first, uh, well, we're taking one medical person. You're welcome to go. And they'd say, yeah, put me down. I'll go. Uh, and then a man called, and he, said, he was an optometrist in our church. And he said, oh, I'll go. And then he said, I know a doctor will go if you'll go play golf with him. If you want something from a doctor, all you got to do is play golf. <laughs> all right. Uh, because when they're not in the office, they're on the golf course, all right? Just joking. But uh, So we went and played golf with him, and he said, yeah, I'll go. And before we knew it, we had 35 people, and we never asked anyone. God just simply started sending people to us, and it was, it was overwhelmingly amazing to us. Then a man called me on the phone, and he said, uh, I have a warehouse of medical supplies I would like to donate. I hear you're taking a medical team into Panama. And I said, well, yeah, I am now. And he said, well, come by our warehouse. I'd like. So I took a little pickup truck, because when somebody says warehouse, you always go, well, it's a garage. Uh, this was a 45,000 square foot warehouse. And he just started going, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. We took out box trucks. We filled up uh, all the Sunday school rooms out in the wings of the church with nothing but medical supplies. And uh, God worked it out uh, miraculously. A uh, man came up in my church and he said, Pastor, you don't know what I do. I said, well, I know you're an, uh, a chief in the Air Force. Uh, and you work at Pope Air Force Base. And he said, yeah. He said, nothing leaves Pope Air Force Base without my signature. He said, but I can't, I can ship that, those medical supplies for you. He said, but uh, I don't know how to get it approved. He said, you're going to have to call Washington. So I did the next day. I uh, dialed the uh, Department of Defense. And they said, no, preacher, this isn't where you need to be 
you need to go to the State Department. So I called the State Department. Uh, and the State Department said, uh, no, you need to call Judy McCallum in the Department of Defense, uh, Humanitarian Affairs. So I called Judy McCallum, uh, and the greatest miracle ever happened at any time was she answered the phone in Washington, okay, uh, on the first call. And uh, so she said, no, preacher, this isn't where you go. Uh, you need to uh, talk with Jeff Schlegel uh, in the State Department in USAID. So I called Jeff Schlegel in the State Department in uh, USAID, and he said, uh, sure, we can ship that for you, no problem. Uh, do you have a fax machine? In those days, that's what you used was fax machine. Uh, and I said, sure. And so he faxed me five pieces of paper. Three months later, we had a C-130. They called me on the phone and said, uh, Pastor Milton, we have a C-130 inbound. On this date, this time, you must have your shipment. And we filled an entire C-130, uh, which is a huge aircraft. And uh, since that time, we have actually... Uh, shipped uh, full C-5As, which holds eight Greyhound buses, if you can imagine that. Uh, and uh, in recent years, we've not shipped as much. Uh, we tend to buy the materials uh, in the foreign countries for the groups, uh, and uh, or we will ship. But uh, that was how it all started, uh, and uh, God worked it all out. And by the way, I got a call from uh, Howard Air Force Base in Panama. And uh, I love the phone, don't you? You get all, God knows a lot of phone numbers, you know. Uh, and uh, the man on the other end said, hey, I was in church Sunday night. I understand you preached there in Balboa in Panama City. Uh, and I said, yes. He said, you're coming for a medical team, right? I said, yes, we have about uh, 30 people. He said, well, add five more to it. He said, because uh, I am... Uh, in charge of dentistry at, uh, Air For at uh, the Air Force Base, Howard Air Force Base, and I just spoke with my colonel, and he said he was going to put us on TDY to your team. That means they get paid for it. And so uh, um, he did. He brought uh, himself and four airmen, well, uh, himself, another officer who was a dentist, and uh, three airmen, uh, and uh, they, the, the guy, the president of the village got his dental team. We worked like you wouldn't believe. Uh, uh, we saw 1,500 patients the very first clinic. And uh, God did it all. And so for these 31 years, we've watched God multiply from Panama to 45 different nations that we've worked in. Many nations are ongoing constantly. Uh, and... Um, I'm going to take you on a medical team this morning, okay? Uh, and uh, I'm going to take you to Peru. And I'm going to let you see what it's like to go on a medical team. Uh, I can use every one of you sitting here, okay? If you can travel, I need you. Uh, uh, age is not an issue. Uh, the only thing you have to do is be able to uh, walk and breathe at the same time. Uh, and uh, work your heart out, all right? So uh, I'm going to take you to Peru. I hope you enjoy it, and this will show you what we do on a medical team. So, Brother Matt, if you would, please, sir.
Imagine if you could see people as God sees them and show to them the love of Christ. Through the ministries of Operation Renewed Hope, we were blessed with such an opportunity in Peru. The people of Peru need the gospel, and through medical clinics, we were able to bring the gospel and assist local missionaries. ORH takes its model from the ninth chapter of Matthew. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. The team of medical and non-medical personnel arrived in Puerto Maldonado. We were joined with more than 20 local church members who helped with logistics and translation. Situated near the Bolivian border, Puerto Maldonado is in the Amazon rainforest along the river Madre de Dios. Our first clinic day was held in the migrant village of Toledo, which was carved out of the jungle by the poor from the Andes mountain region seeking work. God is working among these people. Local missionaries, Buddy and Lauren Fitzgerald, have been ministering in the area for more than seven years. Using ORH clinics as a platform, they reach the lost in their city and in the surrounding jungle communities. On day two, we split into two teams. The first team boarded a barge for a short trip across the river. God brought people from far and wide to this clinic. Some traveled more than three hours to have their family receive care. They came for the free medicine, but many left with Christ's free gift of salvation as well. The second team made the drive back to the Toledo area. There, they boarded boats for an hour-long trip up the river to the small jungle village of the Amarakaid people. Missionaries Dan and Ruth Nagao, serving with the Fitzgeralds, have been laboring faithfully to shepherd a small church started from a prior ORH trip to Peru. These villagers are less than a generation removed from being warriors traipsing through the jungle killing and terrorizing surrounding tribes. We had a, a group of youth come visit. I asked the local community here, please share with them um, why do they need to consider missions? And, and the, the leader stood up and said, let me tell you what happened. Our, our tribe was, was killing men, taking their women, and stealing their goods, and now we know Jesus. This is Carlos, a revered elder in the village and Manuel's brother. Presumably, Manuel has had many chances to witness to his brother. However, it was the work of Operation Renewed Hope volunteers that moved Carlos to listen to the gospel one more time. Watch as the gospel is translated from English to Spanish and Manuel witnesses to his brother in Urumba. On day three, the team came back together for a clinic in La Jolla, a village that did not exist the year before. La Jolla has no school and just a few tiny shops. The villagers had just recently completed the community center. This building consisted of nothing more than a concrete slab and a roof. 
but within 30 minutes it was transformed into a bustling medical clinic. One of the great blessings of the trip was being able to see La Jolla's first church started. This trip was also about training and equipment. The entire 2017 nursing class from Maranatha Baptist University attended. We were also joined with a number of teens from all over Latin America. We pray this trip will instill in them a lifelong love for missions. On the fourth and final clinic day, we returned to La Jolla to find a large crowd waiting patiently for us to arrive. They had begun lining up at 5.30 a.m. The word had definitely spread from those who attended the day before. At times throughout the week, conditions were tough. Lines were long, rain poured, and facilities were primitive. Yet, we as volunteers were surely blessed, blessed by the Peruvian people and especially the children. We were also blessed by Christian fellowship, breaking bread, singing, and playing games together. This wasn't about us, the travelers. It was about God's love for His children and being able to show that love to the people around us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to see the world through your eyes, and thank you for allowing us to serve. to 40 people, sometimes 45. We've had as high as 99 people, had one team that went over 100, uh, and we were in the islands of Chile. The Chilean Navy uh, took the teams out, uh, and we covered islands off of the coast of Chile, which uh, where um, the elderly live, and they, uh, we gave uh, health care to them. Um, Brother Matt, could you do me one favor? There is a video on there called uh, Jaime Valenzuela Testimony. If you can load that one and we can use it, I would. I forgot to tell you that. Can you do that all right? Oh, no problem. I've I got a couple things I'm going to say. And then I'd like, to, I'd like to show you how people are impacted. I forgot to do it. It's my fault. Um. If you turn to Matthew chapter 9, you're going to see the justification for what we do. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says that Jesus went about all the villages uh, teaching and preaching, you know, the gospel in the synagogues and so forth and so on. Uh, any ministry that's not preaching the gospel is not in the will of God. And some people get angry at me when I make statements like that because we in our independent churches have gone away from preaching the gospel. We've become very, um, how shall we say, clinical and um, almost uh, uh, to the point of being a seminary course. And that's not the Bible. The Bible was meant to be lived. Uh, and then it says that he healed all manner of sickness and disease. You see, the second thing that Jesus did was he met the social needs of people. The largest miracle ever, ever done in the Bible was feeding of the 5,000, right? Did you ever stop and ask yourself, 
When did the people eat again? Well, now, if they had kids there, which were any place you go, you got kids, okay? Uh, and, uh, well, they were hungry within 30 minutes of eating, you know. Uh, uh, it was not an eternal miracle. It was not something that would shake the uh, halls of heaven. It was just the fact that the people were hungry, and Jesus was concerned about that. He told the disciples, sit them down, I'm going to feed them. Uh, and 5,000 people ate that day, and within 30 minutes to two hours, they were hungry again. You see, not all miracles have that type of impact. It's just the fact that it needs to be done. And folks, every church in this country, we would be in the forefront rather than be... Our, our churches are discouraged. They just sit and go, we don't have a hope, we don't have a prayer. Everything's against us, you know. Folks, this is the greatest time on earth to minister. We're needed more now than ever before. And we're not engaging. We're just not doing it. Uh, we need to have a gospel ministry, a biblical gospel ministry, and then we need to start taking care of people again. When our churches were large, it was because we had a heart for the people. We ran buses to our own uh, you know, problems, you know. Uh, we just uh, created our own problems. But thousands of people, you just don't know how many people today are gray-headed that the first introduction they ever had to the gospel was through somebody willing to drive a bus, get up early in the morning, go crank it in five-degree weather, uh, and go home about 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon because they had to take all the kids home. And yet some of those kids were the deacons and the pastors and the missionaries across the world. And they all got their start in a labor-intensive, love-desperately-needed ministry. But we don't do that anymore. We're cold, impersonal. Uh, we come to the church and we stay for a while. We put in our required time. And just as soon as we can get out of the church, we head straight to our car and we go home and we do what's interesting. We eat. We watch a little football. Uh, we sew. We, you know, and then uh, maybe one-third of us come back on Sunday night. Uh, because really, that's a little much asking to come back on Sunday night. We no longer have that passion that we once had. And you see, that's why we don't have prayer going up from our churches for the Lord to send forth laborers. Because you see, the passion of verses 37 and 38 are in verses 35 and 36 because Jesus was moved with compassion. And he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. They were without strength. They were fainting. Literally, the life had been sucked out of them. You know how that is, don't you? It's the monotony of the same thing every day. And you get up and realize that it's not going to be any different. I'll die doing this. Or worse yet. I may lose this and I die without anything. And so we have succumbed to what 
Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes, the first chapter. The water runs down to the ocean and it comes back. And the wind blows and it comes back. It happens every day of every week. I don't care what the climate change people say. It's going to happen. Noah was promised that there would always be springtime and harvest, right? Until God was through. It's going to be here. And it's more of a curse than it is a blessing because we don't know what to do with it. We just sit. There's no passion. There's no crying. Nobody weeps for lost souls anymore. And so therefore... We don't pray God send forth laborers into the harvest. I go into churches and, and I'm afraid to ask how many of you in the last two years have prayed for people to go into the harvest. I mean, one prayer. We just don't do it. We are deeply not concerned. Uh, but I want to show you what happens when we are concerned because these trips take a lot out of you. Uh, believe me, after 31 years, I can tell you all about it. And good church work takes a lot out of you. It's not just coming and sitting. It's coming and working. Brother, do you have that video for me? God bless you. Thank you for trying. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, that's it. If you just play that. I want you to listen to this man's testimony. If this doesn't stir you uh, we need to do something today all right Hi, we're back in Chile, and we want to introduce you to someone very special, and this is Jaime, Venezuela, and he is um, helping us uh, in Chile this week, and this is his second time, and the first time was back in 2012, and um, Jaime is from Santiago, Chile, and he is a language teacher at the university there, and um, the first time he came, uh, he came because his sister was coming and we needed extra translators so his sister asked him to come and his sister's pastor actually paid, paid for your plane ticket to come and while, while he was on that trip helping of course that way can you tell us about that sure sure uh, actually when I was invited I was a non-believer uh, my uh, this thing came up like two weeks before the trip so before that, I didn't know I was doing this. I didn't know pretty much anything. And I said, wow, what do I do? Well, uh, okay, I'm going. Um, I like to meet new people. I like to travel. But this religion thing, I'm, I don't think I'm buying it. I'm just going, um, do my thing and be back. But then I met uh, Dr. Jones. He asked me once what, what church uh, I came from. And uh, I said, actually, I'm not a believer. I'm just volunteering here. Uh, and that's when we started talking. 
um, it was really difficult because my heart was hardened and I didn't want to believe I was pushing it back all the time and when we talked again my heart was continuing saying no I don't want this but in a couple of days I started to think and started to ask him a lot of questions about my beliefs my background as uh, a scientific and I saw something very very special in the American team yeah and it was that they were coming from more than eight nine miles away to a remote land on their own free time paying for their trips and I said well for a normal person that's impossible how would you willingly inconvenience yourself to do something like this so I said uh, maybe there's something in there there must be something in there a regular person wouldn't do that I consider myself a good person because I didn't do people much harm uh, I behaved um, regularly good so I said I'm okay but then started to show me with the Bible how short I fall in the eyes of God and that no matter what we're all sinners and uh, we started to dig a little deep into my life and some things were coming up some nasty things that I didn't want to see and uh, kind of Dan started to show me a mirror and I started to see myself there and I didn't like what I was seeing so sin slowly started to uh, enter my conscience because I was not conscious of it I said well I'm, I'm okay I'm good but finally I let go I said well here I am uh, forgive me for everything that I've done in the past what you want to do with me uh, and from that on my life has changed um, I well as a lost soul I did many many things that were not okay and I, I took strict measures in that so uh, this is my second trip I'm rejoicing uh, because now I'm doing it for the Lord the first time I did it uh, being lost God used me being a lost person for his glory now he's using me again for his glory but now I'm a believer and with conviction You see, education uh, is replacing uh, the church. It's becoming the evangelism of a world system. And uh, we go, if you think it's bad here in the United States, uh, it's just as bad all over the world. 
our last work in Haiti, we were working with the um, storms and earthquakes and things like that, which we regularly do. And uh, the kids there would not believe because education had replaced everything. And after that storm, they saw the church in a whole new light because uh, the church brought food. Uh, one man said, now, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're from the church and you want to give me something? Uh, because that's the attitude. Most churches come and they ask, well, you know, you ought to at least give God something. And, uh, you know, it, it makes a difference. There's a lot of things going on. How much time do I have left? What time is it now? I, don't, I can take out. Oh, okay. I see it at the top up there. Okay. All right. All right. So I've got a, just a few minutes left. Um, in the service this morning, I'm going to show you our promotional video, and you'll see all the things that we do. Uh, but I'd like to bring to your attention some things that uh, uh, we desperately need to understand uh, so that we get our passion back. So that uh, once again, and by the way, this isn't just happening in the United States in churches. See, our big concern at Operation Renewed Hope is that we're not going to be able to continue the mission programs. Because as our churches dwindle, because we have no passion for people anymore, okay, so does our ability to minister. And as our churches grow older, we're going to lose the support because people die. I mean, I'm 31 years, and I can remember when this started. <laughs> I, can, I can still remember the days. I can tell you a story. I could stay up here for hours telling you stories that you wouldn't even begin to believe. But those days are, I'm, I'm 68 now, 68 going towards 69 heavily. And I've had to replace myself in the ministry because I'm not going to take the ministry another 20 years. It's not going to happen. And so now I've got young people that I've mentored, that I've worked with, prepared, and they're beginning to take over things that I was doing. And I'm traveling and speaking and uh, uh, taking care of uh, the finances and uh, ministries that we do. I mean, I'm still very active, but I've got to turn it over to young people. They've got to pick up and go on. Do you know how hard it is to find well-trained young people today? Our colleges are dwindling. That's because we don't have any kids in our churches. Go from church to church. Uh, you know, the saddest sound on earth is the silence of church hallways because there's no children. I love it whenever, you know, you'd always be walking down the hallway and a kid would bump you and you'd go, now you better stop that, you know, because he was running. He wasn't supposed to run. Thank God for the days of running children because those running children turned into wonderful adults. Now, folks, we got to do something. It's not, it's not the time for us to walk away. It is our time to reproduce ourselves. And we've got to do it. We don't have any choice. 
And uh, I hope and pray, and and I preach this message in every church, because more and more we're facing the fact that um, we're we're not getting the kids we need to go to the mission field anymore. Uh, we're not getting the people we need to uh, work in our churches. Uh, we're not getting the people we need, uh, and it's because of the fact that. Uh, our baptismal pool is dry. And there's nothing worse than a dry baptismal pool. Because that means that no one's being saved. Because when people get saved, there's excitement about getting them baptized. And you crank up the pool and you put water in it. And you take people. I can remember when I was baptized. My pastor was long-winded. I was afraid he'd get me under and start preaching, you know. So, uh, but we must do this. We don't have any choice. I don't care what the opposition is. It doesn't matter. Opposition just means we need God more. But needing God is a battle. It's a struggle. It's fighting with God. You say, where on earth do you get that in the Bible? Jacob, he struggled with God. And he said, I will not let you go until what? You bless me. And that must be our attitude. We just no longer can hang our heads and say there's nothing we can do. Uh, And uh, we give the world the impression that God is the weakest person on earth. But you know who we give it to most? Our children. They watch cartoons that's more powerful than what we have in church. And they believe the cartoons. I don't know how much they believe us anymore. It's one thing to get up and say there's a powerful God. It's another thing to be able to demonstrate that there is a God in heaven doing miraculous things every day for his church. And... um, When we give that the importance that it deserves in our lives and we begin to pray, Lord, send forth laborers into the harvest and Lord, send me forth. Let me be one of the laborers. I love the song that uh, uh, Fanny Crosby wrote. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. The worst thing I can think of is that Jesus passed and saw no need for me. God said of the children of Israel, Abraham in particular, uh, he said in Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and I am not ashamed to be called their God oh that God would not be ashamed of us as we are ashamed of him that's why he said he that will deny me I also will deny him we'll lose everything that we could have in God everything I'm so thankful for your Christian school. Do you know how many churches no longer are doing Christian schools? I can take you to them. They used to have thriving schools. 
but because it's too much work. It's hard. It costs too much. Believe me, I understand what it takes to keep a teacher employed, a good teacher. And you stay on your knees. Lord, we've got to have the money. We've got to have these people. We've got a hundred kids here. Man, what an opportunity. And you see, it was my generation that failed in Christian education, and I'm brokenhearted by it. My generation. I remember the days when Christian education was just beginning. And they said, we're going to have preachers, and we're going to have missionaries, and we're going to have teachers, and we're just going to populate the world with Christianity from our Christian schools. None of those promises have come true. Because we made Christian school uh, pure education. Because we felt like that if we could teach a child to make a living, it was better than teaching him how to live. So I thank God that you're still doing this and that this ministry is... I'm so looking forward to the chapel on Tuesday. I can hardly wait. If I could get there today, I'd say bye-bye and let me go talk with those kids for a minute. Okay? Why? Because that's where we need to be putting our energy and our strength. Christian education is vital and important. My oldest son works in a Christian school. And I'm thankful. He'll, he'll tell me, he'll say, Dad, I don't know how much longer I can work here. I, I'm not making any money. I've got kids. I've got a family. I'd, I'm not going to have a retirement. I'm not going to. And I tell him, I say, yeah, but son, look at those kids. They come to you. They talk to you. They want to be around you. And he goes, yeah, I know. And then he goes back on Monday morning. And he starts teaching again. It's important. Thank God for you, brother. I don't know what we would do if it weren't for pastors and uh, Christian school administrators and Christian school teachers. Thank God that your pastor still has that passion. We're losing it. And we're closing school after school after school. I went into a church not too long ago. It's a good church, good pastor. He decided to close his Christian school. Uh, and uh, it's just been a disaster for them. Christian schools are closing all over the country. Well, I've preached at you enough. You've been very kind to listen to me. Uh, and uh, I hope you stay uh, after hearing what I've said so far. Uh, and uh, uh, this Sunday morning, I think, is going to be a real blessing to you uh, as you see what all God is doing. And He is. He's working around the world. Do you realize there are more people being saved today than ever before? It's happening everywhere. We need to... Run quickly to the harvest and pray, Lord, send forth laborers. There's so much to be done. So many 